0: Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. Welcome to those of you uh, joining us online. Uh, For the last couple of months, we've been in a series that we have simply titled One Another. Today, we're wrapping up that series. But throughout this series, we've been looking at the one another statements of the New Testament. Most of these one another statements were written by Paul or spoken by Jesus. And in this series, we've been challenged to encourage, serve, esteem, forgive, and love one another. And as I was planning uh, out this series and looking at the different one another another statements, there were a few of them that I was unfamiliar with and that caught my eye because I never heard a sermon or a Bible study on them. And so today I want to take time and look at one of those one another statements that you have probably never heard studied before. But I believe the heart and the message behind this one another statement is particularly relevant to our everyday lives. It's found in Ephesians 5.19 and here Paul drops this one another statement. He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, when I hear that verse, I think we need to all of a sudden become the Brady Bunch or turn our lives into Disney musicals where we live our life and then just suddenly burst forth into song and hymns. A world where we communicate primarily through song. Now, for some of you that are musically inclined, that might sound like a great way to live life. But for those of you that are less musically inclined or perhaps musically deficient like myself, that verse sounds like punishment. In 2012, Melody and I were recently married, and the movie Les Miserables came out. And she, this was before kids, so we could go to movies. So she talked me into going to this movie with her and her parents, and I agreed. But I agreed under the false understanding that this was a movie that was adapted from a play. I had no idea this was a musical that had become a movie and was still very much a musical. After about five minutes into the movie and two songs, I realized that I had been hoodwinked and I was in for a long, long three hours. Now, I don't mind some musicals if I know what I'm getting into, but I have no desire to live my life in a musical singing psalms, hymns, and songs to one another, primarily because I can't sing, and I guarantee you don't want to live in that world with me. So surely, Paul is not calling us to live as though we're cast members in Les Miserables, but what is he calling us to in this verse? And how can psalms, hymns, and songs help lead us to the cross and the Jesus-centered life we're called to? So for that, we're going to need just a little bit of context. context. Throughout the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he is calling on them and teaching them how to live. In Ephesians 4, he calls on the believers in Ephesus to not live as the Gentiles live or as the world lives, but instead he calls on them to live in Jesus and with him at the center of their life. From that point on, Paul is explaining what that means and how that looks by contrasting the ways of the world with the ways that the believer is to live. And that's what brings us to Ephesians chapter 5. So we're going to read Ephesians five fifteen through 20. And in this passage, we're going to look at Paul's command of how we as Christians are to walk and live in this world. And within that command, we see why our worship, our gatherings, our Bible reading, our words, and the songs we sing are so important to fulfilling God's call. On our lives. So we're in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the opportunity and for the days in which we live, Lord. I pray, God, as we look at this passage, that you would open uh, our eyes to help us to understand what it is we are called to do in our lives, in our daily lives. Lord, that you would help us open our eyes and our hearts to what it means to be live a spirit-filled life, Lord. And God, I pray that as we walk through this and we see our call on our lives, that you would fill our hearts with worship for you, Lord, and that we would center our lives on you alone. God, we love you. We praise you. and it's your name we pray. Amen. So our context uh, for this command to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs comes to us in verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Now, this sounds very similar to Ephesians 4 when Paul calls on us as Christians to not live as the world lives, but to live as Jesus calls us to live. We are to live as the wise and not as the unwise. And it is this contrast between wise living and unwise living that we'll spend the rest of the sermon unpacking. But before we get there, we've got to see verse 16. Paul says the days are evil in which we live. But he calls these evil days in which we are living an opportunity for us as Christians to grab hold of. Now most of us will nod our head and affirm that the days are evil, but few of us see that as an opportunity. Most of us view the evil days that we are living in as obstacles, as things to be avoided, as things to survive, as pressures that are trying to defeat us. But Paul says these evil days aren't something to fight, but they are opportunities given to us by God to be redeemed for his glory. God created the men and women that received this letter from Paul in Ephesus for the purpose of bringing him glory and making him known in those evil days in Ephesus. And God created you and he created I and our family and our friends for this very day, in this very location, to redeem and seize the opportunities that these evil days presents. There's a sense of urgency and opportunity in verse 16. The NIV translates verse 16, making the most of every opportunity. Other versions translate it, making the most of the time. But the Greek word here used comes from the marketplace. And it means to redeem, to to buy up. And this verse indicates that the time to do so is now and the time is fleeting. So let's put verse 16 kind of in the marketplace setting for us today. This is the notice, the, the, the sale paper that you get about the annual case lot sale at Smith's, right? It tells you the deals are great, the time is fleeting, and when it's gone, the sale is gone. So what do you do? If you believe that the deals are as great as the ad says, you get yourself to Smith's and you redeem, you buy up all that you need, or at least all that you perceive you need before that sale ends. You make the most of your opportunity because you know that that sale won't last long. It is passing. It is fleeting. And that's what Paul is calling us to as believers. He is proclaiming to us that the days are fleeting. And even though they might be evil, they are an opportunity given to us by God for His glory. So as Christians, we don't bunker down merely trying to survive. But instead, we go forth and we seize the opportunities of the day to bring God glory and to make Him known. I love that. Because that means that your life and my life has a purpose. The evil of the world doesn't have to get us down and we are not defeated by it. The evil of our days hasn't caught God off guard. It is not out of his control. But instead Paul says even the evil of this day, even the evil of this day is an opportunity for us to redeem, to seize hold of for God and his glory. So that's our first point today. The days are evil and we are called to seize and redeem them. Let me just give you a little bit of background on Ephesus and the evil that the Ephesian church was dealing with. Often when we think of the Bible, or at least when I do, I kind of think of the Bible like the medieval dark ages. I assumed that the cities were constantly at war with one another. I think of filthy cities and widespreading disease. But that was not Ephesus, and that was not the Roman Empire. In fact, the city of Ephesus at the time that Paul writes this letter was thriving. It was, prosperous at all t- uh, it was prosperous, and things seemed good. Commercial activity, the economy was booming in Ephesus, and people had every material possession they could have ever dreamed of. If the average person on the street would have heard Paul's description of the days being evil, they would have laughed, and they would have said something along the lines of, why, we have never had it so good. Evil days, these are the best days we have ever had. Ephesus sounds a little bit like Green River, a little bit like America and the many of us that live within the middle class. Now, yes, America wasn't what it once was. There are things that we're worried about. But if we're to be honest with ourselves, for the most of us, our lives are pretty good. Our basic needs are met. Most of us don't worry about our next meal. We have more material possessions than we know what to do with. And as we look at our neighbors, the same is true. Material prosperity, comfort, and abundance surrounded the church of Ephesus, and they surround us today here in Green River. So how can Paul possibly call those days evil? Paul calls them evil because he's talking about the heart, about the eternal. While things might look good on the outside, while the world might have all they desire materially, affluence often leaves our hearts hollow and deprived of the one thing our hearts need, a relationship with God. When affluence abounds, the spirit is often hungry, empty, and hollow. Where affluence abounds, God is often absent in the hearts. And our desires are met by the pursuits of the flesh. The very pursuits that Paul has been warning about in Ephesians 4 and 5. So the days are evil, but Paul calls on us as Christians to not hide from the culture, but to seize the opportunities presented to us to honor God and make Him known. Paul is saying here that the evils of this world do not hinder the gospel. But instead, he says the evils of the world are an opportunity that highlight the world's need for the gospel, for Jesus. And in this passage, what Paul gives us are two tools for walking through these evil days and making the most of them. The first of those tools comes in verse 17. Paul writes, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So our first tool to seize as we are walking through and redeeming these evil days is to not be foolish. To not live like the sinful world around us, but to understand the Lord's will for our lives. So our second point is this, in order to redeem the days, we must understand God's purpose for our lives. Now I know the verse says will, but I went with the word purpose instead of will. Because I think often when we think God's will in the church, we think situational and we think sensational. We think God's will. We think, who does God want me to to marry? Where does he want me to go to college? Where should I work? Where should I live? When should I retire? But the context for this thought is verse 15, which reads in the NIV, be careful then how you live. Other translations say how you walk, so how you step by step live. And so the context here is your day-to-day life, not some one-time event. So Paul is calling us to understand God's will, God's purpose for our day-in, day-out lives. So as you think about your life, we're not just talking about your Sundays at church, but your day-in, day-out life. In your life, at home, at work, with your friends, at the ball field, when you're running errands, what is God's desire and purpose for your life? We can know that only when we center our lives around Jesus. Not just our Sundays, but our every day. We discover God's purpose for our every moment when we filter everything through the lens of our relationship with Jesus. If we boil that down to two commands, what are they? We've talked about in the last couple weeks. They are, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we want to understand who Jesus is, understand his commands, and then allow who he is to shape all that we do. So as we walk through these evil days, as we desire to redeem them, we do so with the understanding that we are called to love God each moment and that we are called to love our neighbor as we do so. So every moment of every day is an opportunity to be redeemed for God's glory. And every moment of every day is an opportunity to love God, love others, and make Him known. But that's not how we naturally walk through life, is it? Our natural way of walking through life is to compartmentalize everything we do. Keith Miller, in his book, The Taste of New Wine, said it like this. He said, It has never ceased to amaze me that we Christians have developed a kind of selective vision. Which allows us to be deeply and sincerely involved in worship and church activities, and yet almost totally pagan in the day in, day out guts of our business life, and never even realize it. What's that saying? It's saying that we live by faith on Sundays and in religious matters, but we do not apply it to our business, to our relationships with our neighbors, to our children, and to our homes. We have a strange dichotomy of vision that divides life and says in business we act one way with different values and principles than we do in church or in relationship to Christians. He goes on to say this. He said, Sigmund Freud has said very perceptibly, I think, in his book, A General Introduction to Psychoanalysis, that these unchanged areas in our lives are like nature parks, which the city fathers in large metropolitan areas and fences off and allows to grow wild just as they always have so the citizens will have a little piece of the old life to wander through and remember how it used to be. But in the case of far too many of us, these these untouched areas are not little parks, but they are national parks the size of Yellowstone. The majority of our lives are lived not with Jesus at the center of our lives, but instead they are lived with the rule of the world at the center of our lives. We follow Jesus on Sundays or in certain areas that we are comfortable with, But then we follow and play by the rules of the world the rest of the week. Paul is saying to the the church in Ephesus and to us that every moment is an opportunity. And every moment we live, we walk, should be done so in faith with Jesus at the center of our thinking and understanding. As Christians, we have to understand that every moment, every single moment is to be lived in dependence on God. And every facet of our lives is a moment that God desires to redeem, that God desires to lead us in that god desires to be glorified in we must understand that every moment in these evil days is an opportunity for god to be known to be glorified and to be shared because the reality is although our world might look like it, it is doing just fine our world is living and dying in desperate need of a savior of hope of a purpose and we know that savior that hope and that purpose So we must live dependent on Jesus, loving those around us, and redeeming the days by pointing people to Him. We must understand that every day has purpose in God. And this is awesome because it changes everything. It means that that tantrum your child just threw is an opportunity to teach, guide, and love in Christ. That budget spreadsheet you are working on at work is an opportunity to model responsibility, stewardship, and take care of the employees in your company. That garbage that needs to be taken out is an opportunity to love your spouse and make a clean and welcome home. That 36th ball game of the month that you are heading to this, year, this month is an opportunity to love your child build, and build a relationship with your child's friends and families and point them to Jesus. There are not holy and unholy tasks in the kingdom of God, but everything in our life should be and can be redeemed by God for His glory. So the first tool in our tool belt for redeeming and seizing these evil days is just to understand that God has a purpose, a plan, an intentionality for all that you do, for every aspect of your life. This week, ask the Lord to help you see His purpose in your day-to-day life. Ask Him to help you find your joy and purpose in every task and strive to live that out. And that leads to the second tool in our tool belt, which is the empowering, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Paul writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. So our next point is this. If we want to redeem these evil days, we must be filled with the Spirit. I love how Pastor Ray Steadman made this point. He said, It is interesting that Paul puts these two things in contrast to one another. Don't get drunk with wine, he says. This recognizes that there are things in our life that tend to drive us to drink. There are pressures in life. There are demands made upon you so severe that you will feel the need of some stimulation, something that will undergird you a bit, give you confidence, and add help and strength. But he says don't let it be wine or any other artificial stimulant because he says the trouble with that is that it so easily leads to a lack of control. The word here translated debauchery in our NIV is the Greek word asocia, which means without limits and with reckless abandonment. It refers to this idea of escapism, the tendency to throw all restraints overboard and live without control. The stresses, the pressures, the demands, the hurts in our life are real. But Paul says don't let those things lead us to the world's resources, but instead let those things lead us to God. And His abundant resources to support us, to lift us up from the ashes and to give us the strength to press on. Stedman continues, there is no need to feel ashamed over our sense of need. We were not made to be self-sufficient, independent creatures. We were made with a sense of need. Because you feel like you need something to help you, to strengthen you, to make you feel adequate to face life. Don't be troubled by that. Because you do need something. But do not swallow any of these senseless lies that are all around us today. That you can be independent and self-reliant and that you have everything in yourself and you do not need anything else. You do need something, he says, but let it be the right thing. Be filled with the Spirit. And here he touches this, on this great secret of real Christianity. This possibility that we can be filled with the Spirit. Now I'm sure you, you know and understand that when you became a Christian, when you believed in Jesus, when you received him as Lord, the Holy Spirit came in you. You have the Spirit. But there's this interesting paradox that we, that we have to understand, and that is that although, we need, that although we have the Spirit, we have to constantly be filled with the Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit is that momentary taking from Him of the resources you need for the situation in which you are in. What Paul and Stedman are saying here is that we have to develop a day-by-day, moment-by-moment dependency on God through the Holy Spirit. A dependency where we press pause And we enter the situation, the meeting, the carpool, the classroom, asking the Holy Spirit to give us what we need to redeem the moment. Or it means pressing pause in the midst of whatever is going on and quietly in your heart asking the Spirit to give you His wisdom, His patience, His kindness, His love, whatever it is you need to redeem the situation. When you are overwhelmed, overworked, just over whatever it is, Paul says, turn to the source that God promises will sustain you that will lift you up, that will hold you on, that will allow you to redeem the situation, which is the Holy Spirit. So as you think about your life, where do you find yourself turning when you're overwhelmed? This week, I would challenge you that before you reach for a drink or the Internet or TV or drugs or a relationship or any other stimuli to numb the feelings, Paul encourages us to turn to God and ask for help from His Spirit. The Bible promises that as you do that, the Spirit will fill you and sustain you. And what we see in the latter half of this verse are two primary evidences of a Spirit-filled life. If we are living filled by the Spirit, it will change our worship, and it will result in a heart of gratitude. That's what we see in verse 19. When we're filled by the Spirit, we will speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So our next point is that worship is an overflow of our heart, and what we worship reorients our heart throughout the scriptures throughout the Bible. Worship is the response of men and women who have experienced God. Exodus fifteen after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, Moses led the Israelites to worship and sing exodus fifteen one I will sing to the Lord for He is highly exalted, both horse and driver He is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. In Second Chronicles twenty nine, when Hezekiah becomes king and he purifies the temple and offers sacrifices to God on behalf of the nation, worship was a part of the celebration. When they understood who God was and the forgiveness he offered, it led to worship. It says he stationed the Levites in the temple of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres in the way prescribed by David and Gad the king's seer and Nathan's the prophet. This was commanded by the Lord through his prophets, so the Levites stood ready with David's instruments and the priests with their trumpets. Hezekiah gave the order to sacrifice the burnt offering on the the altar, and as the offering began, singing to the Lord began also, accompanied by trumpets and the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. The Psalms are filled with God's mercy, God's goodness, and God's Spirit leading his people to worship. Psalm one I will sing of the mercy of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 7.17, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. We could go on and on forever, but in the Bible, when people experience God, it leads to worship. You see, what we worship, what we sing, what we write, what we speak is an indication of what's going on in our heart. As we live in the Spirit, as we walk with God, then God-centered worship is a natural overflow. And that's radically contrasted with the world. When you think about the world, the world worship what it worships, what it praises, they always worship me or one another or an object within the world. Let me illustrate that real quickly. When we celebrate sports, we worship one another. When we watch a music contest, we worship one another. When we watch a TV show, we're either making fun of one another or glorifying the life and person of one another. Now, in terms of music, I'm partial to country music. And the great David Allan Coe said a good country music song must always talk about mama, trains, trucks, prison and drinking. All of those worship myself, one another or the created world. When we want to get emotional in the country world genre, what well, we talk about the love of a woman or the love of a dog. Kane Brown has a song out right now called Worship You all about worshiping his wife. All of those things worship humanity or the created world. And I'd go out on a limb and guess if you looked at the lyrics of your favorite songs in the genre of classic rock, R&B, pop, or rap, the same would be true. And I'm not saying those things are inherently wrong, but I bring that up to illustrate that the world worships themselves. And why wouldn't they? But our worship as Christians, as we're walking with Christ, as we're filled by the Spirit, should be greater And about more than just me and one another. Our worship, our lives, our songs are all about Jesus and who he is as our Savior and Lord. So our worship overflows from our hearts, but it also reorients our hearts around him. When we speak the Bible over one another, when we sing hymns and songs with one another, it reorients our lives around the truth of the gospel. The supremacy of Jesus. And it fills our spirits with the reality of our forgiveness, the depth of God's love, and the knowledge of who he is. This recenters our lives around Jesus. It fills us with the Holy Spirit and equips us for these evil days. That's what Paul calls us to. To speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. When we speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, we speak Jesus over one another. So real quickly, how do we practically do this what does this look like well weekly we do this together as a church this is the one of the reasons that regularly gathering together is so important it's an incredible opportunity to gather to hear the bible taught to sing songs with one another to pray together to speak life into each other's lives and to reorient our lives around jesus i'm so thankful for the online platform to share our worship services with those not comfortable those who can't make it but there is something incredibly special and beneficial about gathering together, about singing with one another, about praying together. I think this is especially true when it comes to the opportunity to sing. There is power and encouragement in hearing others sing alongside us. You can listen to YouTube videos or music on your phone, but there is something special about gathering and singing together. Knowing that there are other people in the room going through trials that are facing relational challenges, that are living in the same sinful world we do, Yet we all made the choice to come together and sing to our King. Gathering together as broken people, redeemed people, declaring truths about God's power. In addition to that, there are a lot of songs and hymns within the genre of Christian music that are just as focused on me and one another as the songs in pop culture. And one of the things I'm so grateful for about our church and our worship team is all the prayer that they put into preparing, uh, all the research and thought and wisdom that they put into choosing the songs we sing. They are intentional to lead us in hymns and songs that point us to Jesus. This is why we sing at church. We sing corporately to reorient ourselves around the cross, to worship God, to focus our minds and hearts on the truths of God, and to prepare our minds to hear the word taught. So gathering as a church regularly and singing is one way we love one another through song. Another opportunity we have is in our home. Now, I'm not saying you can't listen to music or read books outside of the genre of Christian music and books. If I were to be honest with you, if I could only listen to Caleb, I would probably go insane. But we do have an incredible opportunity to speak life over our children, over our spouse, over our friends when we read the Bible together, when we sing together, when we listen to music that leads us to the cross. So be intentional as we live life with one another that our faith isn't reserved exclusively for Sundays, but that we are intentionally day in and day out redeeming the moments and pointing our family towards Jesus through what we say, read, read. And do Now we are far from perfect, this is a family, but let me uh, just share some practical ways we have done this in our home. Well our kids are young, we got six, four and two now, uh, and so the most sacred space in the Taylor house is the bedtime routine. and there are two key elements of the bedtime routine in our home. The first is reading books together, and the second is our kids love to listen to music as they fall asleep. So what we've done is taken those two spaces and inserted the Word of God into them. At book time, we often read fun children's books, but we also use that time to read uh, children's Bible stories or the Bible itself. And then when it comes to our bedtime music, we use one of two albums. Uh, A lady by the name of Katie Kennard has a great lullaby hymn collection that we'll use. And then most recently, we've been listening to Carrie Underwood's new album, My Savior, which is just her singing a collection of classic hymns. And our kids love it, and they're hearing truth as they fall asleep. The other place, Melody, my wife, has done this well Is in the car. We began to realize that our kids were memorizing all the Disney songs they were listening to. So Melody intentionally switched over to old VBS music, which you can get on Apple Music or Amazon Music. And the kids love it just as much, but they're memorizing gospel truth instead of just princess stories. Now, there's nothing at all wrong with Disney music, and we still listen to it some, but we try to be intentional to mix in the truth of the gospel during that idle time in the car. Now, your kids might not be young enough to to implement what we do, but find ways to speak the truth of the gospel into your family's lives. Um, Another place that we do this is with all the one another's in our life, all the people that we live life with. There is no better uh, better way to redeem the opportunities, the moments, these evil days, than to point those others in our lives towards Jesus. When I lived in Montana, I worked on a tree farm outside of Bozeman, and the guys I worked with on that tree farm were in their sixties and their seventies, and they talked about their faith all the time. On Mondays, they would talk about what they learned on Sunday. When there was a beautiful sunrise, they would pause their work and talk about their Creator. When they would see a beautiful animal, a bird, a flower, a tree, they would give glory to God. At lunch, they would give thanks for their foods and just talk about their family, their home, their friends, heaven, whatever came to mind. As they lived in the Spirit, moment by moment, worship overflowed from their mouths. Now You might not have that freedom in your job, but still let the Spirit overflow through your words and how you respond and how you treat others and how you share your story and how you love others. Don't be obnoxious, but live out your faith genuinely. Moment by moment, redeem the opportunities as you live out your faith and your decisions and your words. Let me think about this. How many of the one another's in your life would know that you're a follower of Jesus? How many of the one another's in your life would know to ask you if they want to know more about Jesus? How many of the one another's in your life could experience faith in Jesus merely by what you have shared with them? Wyoming, we are blessed with a lot of freedom to share the gospel. Take advantage and share the hope of Jesus freely. And don't just do this over those that don't know Jesus, but do it for your Christian brothers and sisters as well. I know it often feels like you're all alone as a Christian at your workplace. If there's a fellow believer, encourage them. Share with them what you learned at Bible study or on Sunday morning. Point them to a song that has been drawing you to Jesus. Share scripture with them. Encourage them through songs through Psalms, and through the Bible. Parents, when you go to the park or have playdates with each other, use that time to encourage and speak life into one another. Lastly, if we want to, moment by moment, be drawing on the Spirit to redeem our time, then we need to be speaking Jesus, speaking the Bible, and singing the truth over our own lives. Paul says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. The good news is you can worship, you can sing, you can pray, you can focus on Scripture, even... When it might not be culturally appropriate to do so out loud. And that's good news for someone like me that is not gifted in the area of pitch. But let those songs you sung on Sunday reverberate around your head and draw you to Jesus all week. Think on God's love for you and for others as you walk through your day. Through prayer, give your concerns, your worries, your sorrows, and your joys over to God moment by moment. If we want to rely on the Spirit moment by moment, if we want to redeem every moment, then we must remain centered. On Jesus throughout our throughout our week, and we do that primarily through worshiping Him throughout the day. So we must speak life over our own lives as we sing songs of the heart and speak life over one another. Last thing we see in this passage is that as we worship, as we seek to redeem each moment and each opportunity, it will lead to thanksgiving and gratitude. So our final point is this: give thanks to God moment by moment in everything. As we are filled with the Spirit, it leads to thankfulness. Paul calls on us as Christians to give thanks in everything. Notice he doesn't just say the good things, but he says in everything give thanks to God. That is only possible in a relationship with God where we trust that He is sovereign and that He is using all things for His good and for His glory. And as an overflow of the Spirit working in us, Paul says, live in thankfulness in all areas of our lives. And when we do that, it recenters our life around Jesus and makes us all the more thankful. I'll share one quick story with you, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. A pastor I read this week recalled a time when he was in the Navy. He said, I remember one evening when we were sitting down to eat in the mess hall. I was sitting with a Christian friend, and across the table was a fellow soldier that was as pagan and foul-mouthed as could possibly be. As we always did, my Christian friend and I bowed our heads and gave thanks. For the food it just so happened though that my friend my christian friend disliked the food and he began to complain about it then suddenly this fellow this pagan sitting across the table spoke up and said look didn't you just give thanks for that food then eat it and be quiet this pastor shared that those words were a wake-up call for him because you cannot give thanks and complain at the same time and that's what paul says to us He says in everything we can give thanks because of who God is and what Jesus has done in our lives. So how much time do you spend giving thanks for your spouse, your kids, your job, your community, your life? Contrasted with how much time you spend complaining. We are called to be people who live in gratitude, focused on who God is and all the good he has given us. So as we walk through this life, we do so to redeem every moment in these urgent days. So that God may be glorified and so that many might experience his hope, his life, his forgiveness, and eternal life with him. So as we respond to this passage, the, the first question we always ask is, is, do you know Jesus in this way? Have you experienced his grace, his forgiveness, and his love in your own life? The Bible says that he so loves you that he came to earth and he gave his life to pay the wage for your sins. And if you will humble yourself and repent, he is faithful to forgive. So do you know Jesus if you're not sure, would you uh, come and talk with me today? Would you ask a Christian friend your questions? Would you investigate who Jesus is and what that means for your life? Or if you're ready, you can humbly repent and pray in your seat today uh, and surrender your life to follow him. And then if you're a follower of Jesus, where is God calling you to understand and see the opportunity before you? What is that area in your life that he is calling you to see, not as drudgery, not as evil days, but as an opportunity to be redeemed for his glory ask him to reveal that in your life and where he reveals surrender repent and follow him as you look at your your life and the way you worship what is the way you live the way you talk the way you sing what does it reveal that you worship in your life what does it show that you prioritize in your life is it the world is it yourself is it one another's in your life Or is your life centered around Jesus? If it's anything but Jesus, would you repent and turn from that and reorient your life around him? Commit to worshiping God in your life, to praying, to drawing on the Spirit, so that you may view this life and live this life through the lens of Jesus. And then finally, who is it that God is calling you to speak words of life over? To share the hope of the gospel, to encourage this week. Where will you speak life? Where will you give thanks this upcoming week? Where will you turn and trust him with your life to redeem these evil days? I'm going to pray for us as I do. uh, The worship team will come and lead us in a final song. Dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you for this passage, Lord. We thank you that you are sovereign, that you are good, that you are loving. And that we can trust that even in these days that might feel evil, that might feel like they are slipping away, that you are sovereign and you are in control. And these aren't evil days to be avoided, but these are evil days that we have the opportunity to redeem and use for your glory. God, I pray that you would give us a sense of urgency, that these days are fleeting, that you would give us a sense of urgency, that we have a calling to redeem these days. God, that we would not live our life segmented between church and everything else, but that we would let you impact and lead us in all areas of our lives. So that, that our office, our neighborhood, our friends, our community might be transformed by you. God, we pray that you would, uh, would you would move in our community, you would draw many people to you. God, I pray that as we lean on you, as we understand our calling and our purpose, that we live in the Spirit, Lord, that our worship would just exude from us. That you wouldn't be able to keep us quiet about our love for you. That our worship will be evidenced of our hearts centered around you. God, I pray that as we worship, as we draw together, as we encourage one another, that you would use those things to constantly refocus us and reorient us around you. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to any area that we need to repent and turn to you. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to repent and do so. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us. God, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.